0: When Christians are in distress, we pray, right? That's what we do, it's who we are. And and the Bible is full of examples of that. You have David crying out to God in the Psalms. Many of those Psalms are just gut-wrenching cries on the part of David for God's help. You have Jesus himself in the Garden of Gethsemane uh, crying as if it were great drops of blood and sweating in his anxiousness, but again, crying out to God. You you have the early Jerusalem church when their leaders, Peter and John, are in jail praying to God for their release. And you have Paul and Silas, one of my favorites, uh, sitting in the dungeon at Philippi After having been beaten and put in stocks in the damp, cold jail, praying and singing praises to God, Uh, probably one of the earliest examples of Christians annoying, non-Christians as they were at midnight, they're still awake singing and praying to God. Uh, We pray when things are difficult. And we're going to look at... Romans 8 26 to 28 today written by the Apostle Paul and you know Paul knew a lot of distress I look back and you might want to turn over to 2 Corinthians eleven twenty four 24 when he makes kind of a list of some things that he has gone through he says five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one three times I was beaten with rods once I was stoned Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from the Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled and had often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face daily the pressures of my concern for all the churches. I don't think many of us could claim that level of distress and problems in our life, uh, even as we live for Christ. But what that does tell us is that when Paul writes about distress and writes about praying in distress, we should listen, because this is a man who has gone through the fire and prayed when times were bad and trusted in God. So if you want to turn over to our passage today, it's start here in Romans 8 26. And Paul writes, In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness, for we do not know what we ought to pray, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints in accordance with God's will. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. For those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his Son that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those he predestined he also called Those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. So the context of this passage is suffering. And and Paul, uh, back in an earlier verse, in verse 18, talks about our our present sufferings. And so we should be reminded that really the church was born into suffering uh, almost immediately uh, and especially, you know, Jesus himself being persecuted and then crucified, that persecution and distress continues. Uh, and, and as Paul wrote this letter to the Romans, the Roman Christians knew a lot about suffering. Rome at that time, remember, is the, is the capital city of the empire. And all the seat of government is there. And Rome had its own religion, uh, part of which they translated from the Greek's uh, but they had their own pantheon of gods. They called Christians pagans because they didn't believe in the Roman gods. And when things went bad in the empire, they tended to blame Christians uh, because Christians weren't following the Roman gods. And so they experienced, as believers did, attacks on many sides. And, and if they were Jewish believers, they got a double dose of it because their fellow Jews Persecuted them. Often their families quit having anything to do with them and shunned them. They even sometimes lost property. They were kicked out of the synagogue where they had gone and worshiped their whole lives. Uh, Everything that bound them to their Jewishness often had been turned upside down and, and turned against them. And then, in addition, there was persecution. Uh, from the Romans who didn't believe in Christianity and believed it was some strange cult uh, and persecuted them and shunned them because they didn't worship the Roman gods. And then at times, the Roman government stepped into the picture and and began to persecute them and and confiscate their property, put Christians in jail and as we know, ultimately even uh, used them for sport in the Colosseum uh, and had them killed while people clapped and cheered and enjoyed this spectacle. So we don't have that much overt persecution here. um, But I think we do see now that there are uh, many people offended by our faith. And we receive certainly condemnation from a lot of those people. I have sort of gotten off the dumpster fire we know is Twitter because of all the garbage that comes out there, much of it anti-Christian, and, uh, but, but we receive that a lot. You see it on the news, you see it, and you may have experienced in face-to-face uh, conversations with people, uh, so we deal with some persecution or at least some disdain from people in our culture, but also we, we might not always suffer for Christ, but we suffer in Christ, So if you're a believer, you're in Christ and sometimes you suffer. And many of you have suffered uh, and know what I'm talking about. That is still a suffering that God uses and God honors. Uh, It doesn't have to be suffering as a result of of your faith directly. Um, Some suffer from illness. Some of you are ill in our congregation and have pain and uh, suffer from various symptoms of your illness. Uh, Some suffer from lack of money. There's certainly many people that haven't yet recovered from the economy shutting down during COVID. A lot of people lost their jobs, lost their businesses, lost income. Certainly one outflow from all that now is that we have a a high rate of inflation and that takes a bite out of your budget. And uh, so some people suffer there from lack of money. Uh, Some suffer social stigma uh, from not fitting in to where they belong. So uh, those of you that are older, you may have to think back, but maybe you were the cool kid in high school. I was never the cool kid in high school uh, for a couple of reasons. One is I went to four different ones, so I was always the new kid. And secondly, I was short and not athletic. As my coach used to say, I I made up for what I lacked in uh, strength and size with slowness. And so, you know, none of those things really made me popular. Plus, I was kind of a smart aleck and, you know, that the rest of the people that weren't offended by the rest of my life, you were offended by that. So, I understand that. Sometimes you get social stigma because you're <clears throat> a believer. So, maybe you go to some social gathering and they're doing something and you realize you can't do that because that would not be Christ-honoring and people don't understand that. And they'll even they'll try to talk you out of it. And then if you still persist, you'll find yourself stigmatized from them. You know, sometimes we suffer from our own bad decisions, right? Sometimes we unconsciously, you know, unintentionally make a bad decision. Sometimes we intentionally make a, a bad decision and consequences follow. And sometimes those consequences are painful and we have to deal with that. And it's really common... I think when we are suffering or when we especially have made a mistake to isolate ourselves. <clears throat> and I guess there's two kinds of people. There are those kind of people that whenever something bad is going on, uh, they run to everybody and tell them. You, know, you learn at work or at school, that person that if you're not really in the mood today, when you pass them in the hall, you wanna just say, hey. You don't wanna say, hey, how you doing? Because they're gonna tell you in great detail. Uh, but probably more people are likely to do the opposite, and that is remove themselves from other people. And, and they don't come to church, they don't hang out with their friends, and, and kind of climb into a, a black hole. And this would this be my propensity uh, to do it as well, just to clam up, and t- somehow maybe try to gut it up or get through it. And you kind of just get in this black hole when you do that though. The worst thing though is when we isolate ourselves from God and that's also human nature. And we see that right at the very beginning with Adam. Uh, When Adam and Eve sin, they don't run to God and confess, they go hide in the bushes. And you might remember the story, God comes to them and says, where are you? And they're like, well, we're hanging out back here behind the bush because we're naked. And then you have David. When David sins with Bathsheba and it all just goes to pot, he doesn't turn to God. He just sits there on the throne and suffers. He talks about his bones wasting away uh, because of his sin and his guilt and his depression. (coughs) And so that's not what we should do. What we should do is turn immediately to God in any of our distress, whether it's our fault or whether it comes from an external source, we lift those things up to God. And again, David is the great example of that uh, as he cries out to God constantly in the Psalms. And that is the better practice. But then sometimes you run into this thing where you, you, you do go to God and, and maybe it's for a friend or maybe it's for yourself and you're like, I've got to go pray about that. And so you go where it is, you pray and you, uh, you sit down and you don't know what to pray about. You don't know what to say. And and sometimes like, I don't know what the remedy for this situation is, God, you know. And and maybe you've prayed sometimes like, you know, God, would you fix this? Uh, Because I don't know what to do. And and maybe you've gotten yourself in a mess, or maybe, you know, whatever is going on in your life is so overwhelming that you don't know what to ask God for. And you, you want him to do something, but you don't know what. And Paul calls this in this passage, our weakness. So in our weakness, sometimes we don't know what to pray. And I suspect since Paul wrote this that he experienced that himself. And he was in a lot of difficult situations as some of those I just read. I can, you know, if you're adrift in the sea for a day and night, your prayer's pretty simple, right? It's like, God, please get somebody over here to rescue me and get me on the land. Uh, But maybe when he was uh, facing pushback from the Corinthian church maybe he didn't know the fix for that Uh, when some of these people that he had uh, brought into the kingdom turned against him and started making false claims against him maybe he didn't know what to pray about that and so he calls that our weakness it's not a criticism it's just an acknowledgement that that is a factor that that is something that we often do we just don't know what to say and Paul's trying to encourage us. He's not trying to criticize us. He's trying to encourage us. And the encouragement is that we have an intercessor. So an intercessor is someone that, that takes what you need and goes to the person that can give it to you and advocates on your behalf. So for example, when I was a teenager, and yes, guys, I was a teenager at one point, uh, my dad's default answer to every request was "No." You know, can I stay out 30 minutes past curfew? No. You know, Could I go someplace with my friend? No. It was just and he was protecting me. I, you know, by the time I was 40, I realized that. but uh, you know, at the time, I didn't like it at all, and especially didn't like it if I had a date and say, we were going somewhere and the activity lasted past 10 o'clock. I suspect my dad wanted me in bed by 10 o'clock because he wanted to go to bed at 10 o'clock, not because of I might get in trouble, but nonetheless, it's embarrassing when your youth group at church is having a New Year's Eve party at church, and your dad still says you gotta leave there at 9.30 so you can get home by 10 o'clock. It's just so hard to tell your friends that. Well, The way I dealt with that was, I quit going to my dad and asking him those things. I went to my mother and said, can you see if you can get dad to let me stay out past 10 o'clock? She was my intercessor. And I don't know how she did it, but sometimes she would come to me and say, okay, you can go to that. Or okay, you can stay out to this time. or Okay, you can go there with your friends. She was my intercessor. Now, in those cases, I always knew what to say, or at least I knew what I wanted to say because I, uh, you know, yes, I want to do this. I might not have a good reason for it, but I wanted to do this, and she would intercede. With the Lord, sometimes we just don't know what to say or how to say it, and this intercessor that we have for that is the Holy Spirit, Paul says. And so the Holy Spirit hears our prayers And no matter how inadequate they might be, how badly worded they might be, uh, how self-interested they might be anyway, the Holy Spirit intercedes. He takes those requests to the Father and expresses them to the Father for us. And then it says he does this in groans, inexpressible. And, And so... What does that mean? You know, he intercedes with groans that words cannot express. Well, it can mean one of two things, and either I think is valid. One of them is that he does it in some unspoken fashion, that the communication between the members of the Trinity, if you will, doesn't depend on words. They just communicate with each other, uh, sharing the same thought, sharing the same mind, in a sense. Uh, On the other hand, it might mean that maybe there is a language there that the members of the Godhead have that we don't know and we don't understand. But whatever it is, it shows us there's some level there of communication between the members of the Godhead that we as human beings don't have. And the Holy Spirit uses that and communicates with God on our behalf. Now, not only do we have the Holy Spirit interceding for us, we have Jesus interceding for us as well. And it's outside the passage for today, but down in verse 34, it tells us that Christ Jesus is seated at the right hand of God the Father and is also interceding for us. And and, uh, so, if any of y'all know my wife, she's a great prayer warrior. And if you really ever need anything prayed for, you should ask her, because I'm convinced there's a red phone that is on the seat where Jesus sits and it rings and he picks it up and he puts his hand over it and goes, you know, Father, it's joy. And he says, I'll take it. Uh, and, and so the, the picture there is of Jesus, the, the right hand would be the place of honor in heaven and Jesus hears our prayers and he too intercedes on our behalf with the Father. So we have two members of the Trinity you could say that the second person of the Trinity and the third person of the Trinity interceding on our behalf with God the Father, the first person of the Trinity. So we have lots of representation there. Now, if I represented you, you know, I would be good maybe some of the time and not so good other times. Uh, but this is a perfect communication among the members of the Trinity that love each other and have perfect communication and have had for all eternity. The other thing that the Holy Spirit does uh, in addition to just communicating with God is that he always does this according to the will of God. And I think this is a great comfort in prayer. I know that especially when you're younger, you, you pray about things and you're always worried, am I gonna do something outside the will of God? And the comfort we have here in this passage is that Whatever we pray, the Holy Spirit communicates to God, and this is all done within the scope of what God's will is. Even better for us, I think, and more encouraging is that we can always come to confidence, come with confidence to God that he will work out things for our good. And uh, Jeffrey, I appreciate the song about that today. So, it was perfect. He says he works in all things. So that would be good things, and that would be bad things. It would be difficult things, things that aggravate us. God works in all those things, and he works for our good. Now, the way that's worded there, he says that he works for good for those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. So, he's talking about believers there. Well, what's the purpose, though, that he talks about? Well, down in verse 29, it says that we are predestined to be conformed to the likeness of his son, of Jesus. And so, everything that God does working for our good is working toward that, working toward conforming us to Christ making us more like Christ, if you will. That's what we call sanctification as we grow continually throughout our lives to be more like Christ. So much so that the father's purpose is that, that the son will have many brothers and sisters that are conformed to his likeness. And so you have this picture of us being adopted into God's family as his children and therefore brothers and sisters of his son, Jesus, and then it says that he will have the highest honor. He will be called the firstborn. Now, certainly in, in time, he is the firstborn of everyone that will believe, but he, he's not born in that sense of uh, I'm the firstborn of my father, uh, but it is a, an exalted position. And so this family is created As people come into Christ, come into God's family, and above them all is the firstborn, is Jesus, who will be exalted by all these brothers and sisters and who worship him and and honor him. That is God's purpose. So the cautionary note that I need to give you there is when it says he always works for our good, that actually doesn't mean that it will always be enjoyable, uh, that it will always be the happiest thing. And I would like to tell you that every time you're sick, when you pray, God will make you healthy, wealthy, wise, stronger than ever. That's not what goes on here. Your good here is your sanctification. And it's important to note that with a believer, God cares about your sanctification more than just about anything else. Your salvation first and your sanctification second, and he cares more about that than your wealth, or your health, or how many friends you have, or anything like that. His sanctification is paramount, and needs to be for you as well. So, it doesn't say that he always works for our comfort. Uh, Being a Christian is often not comfortable, right? Sometimes it's uncomfortable, because you just can't be like everybody else. And sometimes it's uncomfortable, Because the spirit of God is making you uncomfortable so that you will move on to where God wants you to be. And sometimes that's, we would rather sit where we are than be propelled into a new situation, especially if if we're in a good place. And that, by the way, is why God often works through distress and not through success. Because what happens to us when we're really successful? When everything is going really well, what's the tendency there? So, did any you know of y'all watch the movie Castaway? I'm sorry, I don't watch anything current, so I can't give you that. But, so, you know, Tom Hanks, uh, he gets lost almost as much as Matt Damon in movies, but he's on this island, right? And then he starts trying to start a fire, and, and he just struggles and struggles, and one day he gets it going, and, and he steps back, and he kind of beats his chest, and he goes, look what I have created. Okay, and that's a perfect picture of, he says it just like that. It's a perfect picture of humanity there. When we succeed, often enough, we will begin to take credit for it. And we will think we've got it all together. And I remember a time in my own life where I thought, I have got this Christianity thing nailed. I have it down. I'm never gonna mess up again. And and I'm writing this book, it's called Things I Learned Lying on My Back. That's when God pulls that rug out from under you and you land on your back and, and you learn things from it. And that happened to me. Okay. So God often works in our discomfort and our distress because that's when it's best to get our attention and show us what's going on. So you might remember uh, Paul again. He had this story he told about having a thorn in the flesh. And you can see this over in 2 Corinthians 12. And so Paul says, uh, you know, he had these great things happen to him. You know, um, when he was going to Damascus, he has a vision of the Lord and the bright light and the Lord speaks to him. <clears throat> I'd like to have that on my resume. Wouldn't it be great? God, Jesus spoke to him directly. And then he later says, he, he writes it in the third person, but basically that he was taken up to heaven and, and saw things he, that were so amazing he wasn't even able to talk about them. And that's a pretty heady experience, isn't it? And, and plus, he's, a, he's the church planter, he's the preacher, he's doing all these things, and, and then he, he has this sore in the flesh, though, and he, it looks like from the scripture that he might have had it for 14 years at this point. And he says, I asked God three different times to take it away, three times, take this away from me. And God said, No. And then he said he learned as time went on that God gave him the thorn to keep him from being conceited. You could see how he might get conceited, right? I mean, not many of us. I know some people write those books about I went to heaven. I personally don't believe in any of those, but Paul, I believe, did. And, uh, And Paul had revelation directly from the Lord. It'd be easy to get conceited. And God gave him that thorn in the flesh to keep him humble because he knew in his weakness God was strong working to him. And God often does that with us as well. So, if you are in Christ, you can be assured that Jesus, that God is always working for your sanctification. Over in Philippians 1, Paul writes that he is confident that he who began a good work in us would continue it until the day of Christ. So, that is going to go on. And often he's gonna do it through trials and he's gonna do it through tribulations. And he's gonna do all this because we are his. So let me sum up here and just say this. Uh, As you go through difficult times, how you think about God is paramount of importance. And, And the first thing is that God is good, all right? So if you believed in those Greek gods, you would see that they were very capricious, the Roman gods. Zeus today might be good, but tomorrow he might decide to come to earth so little mischief. Uh, they might go to war against each other. God is not like that. He's what we call immutable. He never changes. He is good and he's always good. And that means he will always act for your good because that's who he is. He is good and he wants good for you and he's willing and he's able to bring it to pass. There's a there's an old hymn and it that says, uh, "Trust in God, have faith in God. He's on His throne. Have faith in God. He watches over His own. He cannot fail. He must prevail. Have faith in God." So the the man's going to come up here and uh, do another song of worship for us today. But let's take a minute and do this. Let's bow our heads close our eyes, and let's pray for whatever it is today that distresses you, whatever it is today that maybe you have a friend that is distressed about, knowing that God is good, declaring that God is good, and asking him uh, to work in your life. So Father, I I join with all these that are here today uh, just declaring that you are good, praising and worshiping you for that, asking you, to Father, to work in our hearts and our spirits and our minds for our sanctification, but for comfort in knowing that no matter what happens or has happened, uh, none of those things are beyond your control And you care about all those things. And you will act for our good in all those things. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.